Welcome to Tangents. I'm Susan Farley, Project Manager with McLaughlin Research Corporation, and I support the Public Affairs Office at Newick Division Newport. This year, the Joint Warfare Center's Black History Month observance was hosted by the Naval Surface Warfare Center Philadelphia Division. The event's keynote speaker was Captain Sheila Jenkins, a Principal Acquisition Program Manager, subject matter expert, whose 30-year career spans both civilian and military ranks as a defense industry technical leader, program manager, and Navy Reserve officer serving across NAVC. She started out as a mathematician working at the Naval Oceanographic Office, which caught my attention because I'm a big fan of the Naval Meteorology and Oceanography Command, also known as CINMOC, down in Stennis. Captain Jenkins was so gracious to do this episode of Tangents directly following her presentation for NAVC. We talked about a lot of things. We talked about her prolific career. I will post her bio on the Tangents Wiki. And she offered a simple bit of advice that I'm not sure I've ever heard before, but I thought it was great. So I'm kind of paraphrasing here. She basically said, if you feel unwanted in your current position, move on. She also underscores the importance of mentorship and learning. I really enjoyed getting to know her, and I think you will too. Captain Jenkins, thank you so much for joining us on Tangents. I really appreciate it. We've been doing this podcast for a few years. We've had some great guests, and you're just another in a long line of really cool people we've been interviewing. And it goes out to um, the Fusion workforce, which is NAVC and Baywar and NYWIC. And, and, and at this point, it's like 100,000 people have access to this platform. So I'm pretty excited. OK. <laughs> So I, I just, uh, I watched and listened to your presentation just now. It was really, I, I liked the history part of it as the gentleman suggested, you know, he was a big history buff and we, you know, we got to sort of be introduced to a lot of people. Right. I recognized one gentleman and it was um, William Bundy, who was a professor here at the Naval War College up until a few years ago when he passed. Oh, and wow. Okay. We worked with him on on a few innovation events, and I recognized him right away in that in that photograph. Oh wow, that's amazing! I had met uh, Mr. Bundy too uh, several years ago. Um, we went out to support a. Uh, I think we were doing some war gaming or something there, and yes. he was very uh, knowledgeable. And uh, I enjoyed that week that we spent there going back and forth with him, you know, pretty much, you know, making sure that we we were uh, using the right uh, facts or whatever, but he's very good. I did not know that he had passed away, though, so sorry to hear about that. Yeah, and so um, after he passed, uh, they started a, a Bundy scholarship program. Oh, and, wow, and that's pretty cool. The workforce at the Warfare Center is able to apply and be accepted to that program at the War College to be a Bundy scholar. And it is all about wargaming and innovation and strategic studies. And um, it's a great program. Wow, that's great. I'm sorry to, again to hear that he had passed away. I had not heard about that. Yeah, I think it was just before COVID this all oh, happened. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so another thing that stood out to me in your bio was you worked at CINMOC and we've worked with CINMOC quite a few times here, uh, the Division Newport team. And so I've been down to Stennis a few times. I've taken the NAVO tour so many times. It's super interesting place. It's a beautiful campus. And I, I wanted to kind of start off talking about your experience at CINMOC. Well, the Naval Oceanographic Office um, was my first job uh, right out of uh, college. I got uh, recruited to 
uh, do an interview there. I met some people. We had a good connection. And the next thing you know, I was started there as a mathematician, oceanographer, GS7. A uh, very long time ago, back in 1990. The really cool thing about uh, that uh, job with uh, with uh, Navoceno was we traveled six months out of a year um, collecting oceanographic data. And after I got over, you know, having seasickness, I, I did pretty well after that. But uh, the first uh, trip was. Uh, pretty uh, scary. I was probably sick for about seven days and uh, got over it and did well each time I, you know, went back out, just figure out when to start taking the Dramamine that uh, they were <laughs> providing for us. But uh, yeah, if I could have moved uh, the Naval Naval Oceanographic Office back to Washington, D.C., I would probably still be there. It was great work. I really enjoyed it and enjoyed the folks uh, there at Stennis as well. Yeah. I um, The person I worked with the most was uh, Dr. William Burnett, who recently left there. Okay. And um, Todd Holland was with NAVO, I think. Anyway, I had such a great experience. Um, every time I went down there, it was it was just a cool place to be, and they, yeah. they did the stuff with the gliders was super interesting. Um, so anyway, I just kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you served 27 years in the Navy Reserves. And in your presentation, you said uh, Captain Karen, I think it was, was the one who suggested that you commission to the Navy. Right. What, what made you agree to that? Well, at the time, I was in the uh, Air Force Reserves. I was enlisted, and I, w I was talking to him, and I said, you know, I really don't know uh, how much more time I would want to spend in the reserves. And he said, well, you're working here with the uh, Naval Oceanographic Office, so, and you're doing pretty well with, you know, the, the special projects that I was helping him out with. He said, would you consider uh, being commissioned in the Navy? He said, I can you know, uh, help you if you would be interested in becoming a METOC officer because he was a, a uh, METOC officer in the Navy Reserves. And he was, you know, full time with these uh, special projects that he was working on at the Naval Oceanographic Office. So um, I agreed to it and most in part because he was interested in me. He thought that I could do it. He had more confidence in me than I you know, had on myself at the time, so I went for it. And uh, he found a recruiter, he wrote my letter of recommendations, um, he did perform my uh, commissioning ceremony, so he was right there with me every step of the way. Um, I did not become a, you know, METOC officer. They didn't have, uh, at the time, you know, the, a billet uh, for a junior officer. Um, so the recruiter said, if you want to be commissioned, you know, we could start you off in a different designator and then later you can change and come back to the, to the, to be a METOC officer whenever there's a slot available for you. Uh, so that was the start of uh, my Navy officer career. And it just, you know, worked out that um, it was something, you know, I felt really a very close connection to 
the Navy, everybody seemed to, you know, really get along uh, with each other. And I like that. Um, I still have uh, folks now um, that I've known for many years that uh, they've never forgotten me. I've not forgotten them, and so it's great to have those types of uh, connections. So. Captain Jenkins, what does a young METOC officer do? Well, today, number one, uh, for a young METOC officer, uh, he would probably have to have a master's degree in something like physical oceanography, right? So that gives you some in-depth um, expertise. Um, today, what some of the, uh, the METOC officers are doing, they're actually solving uh, some of the uh, highly probably classified, um, some of the intel uh, problems. Remember that METOC is uh, broad. It has to do with oceanography. It also has to do with uh, weather. Uh, so combine those things together and think about our ships that we have out and uh, in uh, different areas. Uh, there's a tactical component to that where the understanding that a METAC officer has, you know, that's what we want. That's what we were doing, you know, pretty much at, at Dargren. We're using the data to, to um, help the shipbuilders and everyone when you put the ship in the water, what types of uh, characteristics are you dealing with? The temperature, uh, the depth of the water, how much salinity is in the water, and what effects that have on not just ships, but also submarines and other... UUVs too, right? Right, other things that you're, other submissible, right. So those are some of the kinds of our problems. There may be others. I've been away from from oceanography for some time now, but... It's probably the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, when looking back at your time as a METOC officer and just like early days at Stennis, what were some of your favorite projects? Um, as a mathematician, I just enjoyed going out to sea, you know, uh, collecting... Seasickness aside. Seasickness aside, I was able to adjust, you know, I figured out, you know, the wind speed, you know, if it's getting above 30 knots, okay, start taking your Dramamine, you're going to be okay. So those are the kinds of uh, things that I, you know, that I looked at to navigate my way through that. Um, we collected data um, in the Mediterranean, that's always fun. You know, we would collect data for three weeks at a time, and then we'd get some R&R &R for about a week. Then you go back and you collect the data for three more weeks, and, and then you went back to the office. And you started start to, you know, process, you know, the data that you collected, you know, a long time ago, back in 1990. We've, you know, processed data with MS-DOS and those old types of uh, things, but I felt at home that's what, you know, I knew how to do, but um, I enjoyed those trips out to collect, uh, to collect our data. What were some of the challenges that you faced um, early on in your career as uh, someone who, well, first a woman, a black woman, a black scientist, 
Did you feel that uh, there was a lack of diversity and opportunity at that time, at the beginning of your career? I have to say there was a lack of uh, diversity because for the most part, and I can go back and I can look on any uh, office picture and I was always be the only black standing there or the only black female there. So yeah, that was a huge uh, lack of uh, diversity. But uh, you know, what I think helped me a lot was there was always someone on that team who would embrace what you were bringing to the table. And that made a huge difference because, you know, there's always going to be someone that, you know, they may not be comf comfortable with you for whatever reason. I may feel like, you know, why is this woman here? But, you know, you look to the people who want you there and you work with them and you make things work. And that is what I had to do for the most part. I mean, even today, um, on my team, I'm probably one of two um, black females on my team, and probably myself and the other female may be the only two blacks on a team of probably around 60 people. Uh, so, you know, things are changing, but they're, you know, it just depends on your interests, where we don't have a lot of, uh, of uh, enough of of a black female engineer, so you're only going to have a few in probably every organization. It's going to be one, or it's going to be two, or it's going to be zero. I mean, that's, you know, you know, that's where we are. Um, and it has been that way for me for most of my career, but I embrace the people around me, uh, make the connections where you can, and, uh, you know, you figure out how to manage uh, your career. I have people asking me all the time and looking at what I've done is, and are saying, you really, you know, manage your career well. Well, I had to make some of the moves that I made just to uh, continue to grow and to develop, so. So when you talk about, you know, maybe a lack of diversity on your teams, what's the commonality? What's the common thread that you can uh, connect with someone? Is it is it the work? Is it is it being scientists? Is it the mission or all of the above? It's I would say that it's all of the, the above. Uh, you know, once you connect with people and they understand what you are bringing to the table, and you probably have something in common, like, you know, um, the work that I've been doing for the last 10 years. We have a lot of, uh, of uh, people who are characterized as gray beards, I mean, they're older, and they have lots of experience. And, you know, uh, for the things that we do in government, you really want to have uh, people that they understand the entire acquisition process. So this is normally older, you know, white men who know all of this stuff. So uh, you have to have someone that you're learning from. So, I mean, I appreciate that because I'm learning a lot from them and they are older enough to know that I'm, you know, not gonna bring them, you know, do anything to make them feel uncomfortable. A lot of these folks too are also retired military. So that's a different type of environment. And so they understand the military. They know what I've, I've gone through. Um, so it, it makes it easy to, to continue to grow 
and to climb that ladder, however, you know, you want that to work out for you. I think that I have just been, you know, very lucky and have gotten myself in the right places at the right time with the right people. So if you're in a place, you're not comfortable, it's not going well, I don't know how much time you should continue to invest in that. You need to be around people who, you know, they want you to, to be there and they're going to help you grow and to, to develop. So that is excellent advice. Thank you. Right. So what are you doing now? What am I doing now? Uh, right now I am a uh, contractor. I, I, you know, work for uh, Mantech. Um, I'm using my uh, expertise in, you know, program management and acquisition and systems engineering and I pretty much help young uh, program managers. You know, they're just getting started. In many cases, it's their first program that they're responsible for. Uh, they're still figuring out, you know, the entire life cycle. You know, how do I manage this? You know, why do I need a configuration management plan? Why is that important for my product? I'm in the operations and sustainment phase. Why do I still care about, you know, someone, you know, improving uh, my product? So I, you know, what I bring to the table is addressing those types of concerns that a young program manager is gonna have and to help them, you know, stay on track and also feel more comfortable about being an acquisition program manager is not an easy, it's not an easy job. So you mentioned in your presentation earlier today um, the value of mentorship, and and you you mentioned some of your significant mentors. Are you a mentor, either formally or informally? I am. I have uh, you know some reservers that they still uh, call me. I have other uh, you know. Uh, folks that I have worked with uh, that they still call me and we have a long discussion about, you know, questions and concerns that they have. Uh, you need to have uh, people like that, that you feel comfortable speaking with and addressing, you know, concerns, you know, that you have in the workplace. You want to thrive in the workplace. You don't want to be somewhere where, you know, you're not happy and you're, you're not uh, making, uh, you know, making progress, or you feel like you're not, you know, a true part of uh, the team, and you're not able to give to, to support the mission in the way that you want to. So those are the kinds of things I, I you know, speak with people about. And I encourage people, get a mentor, have someone that you can talk to that you're comfortable with. It's really worth it. To me, it, it uh, got me to where I am today and I still have multiple mentors, you know, people that I can call and say, hey, you know, it's just a good idea. Should I be doing this? And I expect that they will give me an honest answer because that's a part of having a mentor, someone who's going to tell you, well, you really suck at that. You probably need to not. Uh... <laughs> so that's that's a good thing, right? Have you received any bit of advice that like really stayed with you throughout your career that you can share with us? Uh, I guess for the most part, if you again are in a situation where you're trying to uh, solve a complex problem, you're part of this team, but you really don't have 
you know, there's a, you don't have the best fit and alignment to, to, to be there. Uh, then that is some advice that I have had before that maybe, you know, you need to, you know, find something else where you, where you have a better fit. Because that's important to, to um, help you with your continued growth, you know, and, and development. And when I've been in that type of a situation, I figure out, am I going to stay here and be challenged? Or is this a good time to move on and to do something else, right? Because we all have to do that. I mean, I love the Naval Ocean Graphic Office, but at the time, I really wanted to focus on, on getting my master's degree because I was going out to sea three to six months out of a year then you're not able to be in class and work on a master's degree and do homework and projects. You're on a team, you can't do all of that. At the time, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have Zoom, you can't do any of that stuff. So I decided that to take the advice, I think, uh, of a mentor that I had when I was very young, you know, who said to me, um, I lived in Louisiana, who said, okay, you live in Louisiana, you're a black female, if you really want to grow and develop, you really need to consider moving to Washington, D.C. That area, the Washington metro area, has lots more opportunities for all the females. You can go there and you can have all the opportunities that you want. And I can tell you that I would never forget this woman, Miss Garden. She was 100% correct. So we have um, our workforce here at the Warfare Center. I'm sure you know, it's scientists and engineers mostly. 72% of the workforce here, scientists and engineers. And, you know, they're working on their projects, kind of like, you know, when you were started out as a mathematician and you were gathering data um, and, and, we're always trying to, especially with our new hires, make that connection between the research and the warfighter. What advice do you have to, to that workforce to make the connection uh, between the work that they're doing, which might be you know, S&T level, to the end user who's the warfighter? You probably need to get them out to see the capability that they're working on, get and work with the warfighters so that they know, you know, what problems, you know, the, the warfighter might be having. You know, you sometimes we deliver things to the warfighter that has, you know, 10, 20 workarounds. You go out and see why those workarounds are there and try to go on the ship or whatever, whichever platform it is and, and, and work with them so that you understand better. It's nothing like knowing what your customer wants you to do. After all, it's their requirement. It's not our requirement. So you be aware of the requirement and make sure that what you're delivering for the warfighter is what they ask for. I mean, I had some really good advice uh, from someone who said to us, engineers and scientists, this is not your requirement. It is the warfighter requirement. Look at the shell statement. It doesn't refer to you. It's talking about what their needs are. And so just make sure that, you know, you have that connection for that new person. Because a lot of times when you're new, 
you don't have that experience yet to know that. So to get them out and to actually see the actual product and to see the user and some of the difficulties they may be having with that is something that you really, uh, really want to do, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's absolutely essential to the R&D process and yeah. at the S&T level as well. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I'm so glad you, I know you had a busy afternoon. I'm glad you took a, a few extra minutes to talk to us. Um, much appreciated. Thank you so much for your time. And thank appreciate you it. as well. Tangents. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tangents. You can find all Tangents podcasts on the Tangents Wiki, and you can follow us on Fusion, hashtag Tangents.